Savannah asks an interesting question. What is hope? It's hard to put in words. One little dude said hope is you hope for stuff. How do you say that? I can tell you that biblical hope, when we talk about the word hope, from a scriptural basis. We're talking about something different than wishful thinking. A lot of times when we say hope, we're, we're kind of just saying, you know, I, I, I'm trying to have a positive attitude and, and, and I'm kind of wishful thinking that something good will happen. You know, I, I hope the Rangers have another good season, you know, kind of a thing. When we were kids, we'd, I, I hope I get a bike, right? I hope I go to Italy. You never, you know, just. (laughs) But hope in scripture is so very different than that positive wishful thinking. It is actually an assurance that enables me to move forward in a positive way. It's a hope not based on something I don't know if it's going to work out or not. It's exactly the opposite. It is because I am sure that God keeps his promises. Because I'm sure that he has already provided a way. Because I know those things, I can move forward in a positive way. Hopeful living is very different from wishful thinking. And this morning, I want us to think together about hope for the world. And we want to begin Advent in this way because Advent is all about waiting. People don't like to wait. It makes us uncomfortable to wait. See? <laughs> we don't like to wait. It's, it's, it's just something against our nature. But imagine how long God's people had to wait for Messiah. We could trace the first promise of Messiah all the way back to Genesis chapter 3 and 15, but Just for the sake of discussion now, let's just start with Abraham. Because it was through Abraham that God decided that that God started his nation, his, his chosen people. He started with Abraham. And when he started with Abraham, he told Abraham right up front, you're going to have a lot of kids and they're going to have a lot of kids and they're going to have a lot of kids. And then one of them kids is going to change the world. That's the Texas version. But the promise of Messiah came all the way back at the call of Abraham. Abraham passed down that promise, who passed down that promise, who passed down that promise, and generation after generation longed for that day that Messiah would come. The family that wound up being the nation of Israel spent 400 years in slavery, in Egypt, 
longing for someone to come and set them free. Moses comes and sets them free. They wander through the wilderness 40 extra years because they didn't get they didn't get it right and take the opportunity God gave them. They wander for extra years. And, and then the, the nation finally gets settled. And then there's war after war. And for 2,000 years, from Abraham till Jesus, these people waited. I can't stand to wait 20 minutes at the Whataburger line. They wait 2,000 years. For the fulfillment of a promise. During that time, God continues to send prophets and and representatives to encourage the people. In 2 Samuel, we're promised that the Messiah would be a descendant of David. In Micah, we learn that the Messiah will be born in Bethlehem. In Hosea, we find that he is going to be brought out of Egypt at one point, which he is in his early life. In Isaiah, we find out he's going to be born from a virgin. And the prophets continue to point toward the one who's coming. And time and time again, there are these very specific prophecies that enable us now looking back we're able to see that Jesus that was born in Bethlehem raised in Nazareth he's the one who checks off all of those prophecies so there's no question he is Messiah how can we be familiar with the Old Testament and meet the baby of Bethlehem and not see that he's Messiah He is the one that brought hope for the world. I want us to think together about what it must have been for God's people just longing, hoping, certainly believing, but also realizing they not yet received what they longed for. They lived in hope for so long. Let me show you Isaiah chapter 7 at verse 14. If you have your copy of Scripture with you, I invite your attention to that verse, Isaiah 7 and 14. Isaiah speaks about the hope for the world. We're just going to focus on this one verse. Therefore, the Lord Himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin will conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. Believe it or not, there's a whole lot of theology wrapped up in that one verse. There's a whole lot of profound truth. There's a whole lot of beautiful treasure there. There is indeed the redemptive plan of God all wrapped up in one verse. Let me do the best I can to show you at least part of that this morning. In Isaiah's prophecy, looking forward to Christ's birth, first we saw that God gave hope through a sign. God gave hope through a sign. Isaiah has appeared to the king and he's telling the king, um, you know, don't, don't freak out. Here's 
here's Judah, where Jerusalem is. This is where Isaiah is speaking to the king. Just north of Judah is Israel and Syria. And then keep going north, and there's a big one, Assyria. Assyria is quickly becoming the world power, and they're planning to come down and take out all the others. So the two in the middle, Israel and Syria, they say, let's gang up together. Let's, let's, uh, you know, let, let's partner up in this thing. They invite Judah to join them. Judah says, no, nah, I don't think so. Now that ticks them off. So before Assyria gets to the two in the middle, the two in the middle are going to teach Judah a lesson. The king of Judah, Ahaz, he knows this is all happening. He sees it. He's afraid. Isaiah says, King Ahaz, God's going to take care of you. Just ask him for a sign and he'll show you. And the king said, I'm not asking for a sign. I don't want to test God. Isaiah says, all right, fine. You sit back in your self-righteousness. Don't ask for a sign. God's going to give you a sign anyway. He says, therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. What is that sign? Behold, the virgin will conceive and bear a son. The sign that God was sending Messiah would be that Messiah would come born of a virgin. Isaiah said this, give or take, 700 years before Jesus was born. He knew what was about to happen. You're driving down the highway and you got all those people on your left driving 100 miles an hour and getting mad at you because you're trying to drive the speed limit. They come right up on you just to, anyway. And then you got these people over here and they're scared to get on the highway. They're scared to drive the speed limit. So you got them over here going slow, over here going fast. You're trying to be in the middle and it's just chaos and you miss your sign. There was a sign. That sign told me I was supposed to exit, but I'm stuck in my lane over here. Because we're so distracted with the traffic and the chaos, so often we miss the sign. So God says, hey, here's your sign. <laughs> Don't get so distracted that you miss it. The way you're going to know when it's time for things to change is a virgin is going to give birth. You know how many times that has happened in human history? Folks, everybody got a daddy. One way or another, I understand there are different ways for that to happen, but everybody got a daddy. There's only one person ever been born in human history who did not have an earthly father. There's something special about a virgin birth. That's a sign. That means God's at work. So God gave hope to the world through the sign of a virgin birth. That's recorded for us in Luke chapter 1. An angel appears to, to Mary, and Mary's saying, I don't know what's going on. This is confusing. What do you mean I'm going to have a baby? I can't have a baby. 
The angel answered her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. The power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. You're still a virgin, but God is the one who's going to be the Father. He'll be the Son of God because God is going to bring that child to you. Just an amazing sign that God would give us that would enable us to understand he's finally at work and doing, he's giving, he's sending Messiah. We have kind of some traditions on Christmas Eve. We have certain things that we do every year on Christmas Eve. And I, 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 don't, I don't apologize that for anything. You've got traditions at your home that mean something. We do it here. I love our traditions on Christmas Eve. We chime the hour every year. Six o'clock, you're going to hear six chimes to say, hey, it's time to get started. Right? We've got the candles that we, that we share the flame. We've got the Lord's Supper together. Every year, somebody sings, oh, holy night. That's just, that's the tradition. Because it is the holy night, it's the perfect time. And, by the way, it's the perfect Christmas carol. The best Christmas carol ever written, oh, holy night. Mariah ain't got it. <laughs> the best Christmas carol ever written is Oh Holy Night because the lyrics are so beautiful and so powerful and they wrap up the whole story so, uh, in such a meaningful way. A thrill of hope. A weary world rejoices for yonder breaks a new and glorious morn. You see, they've been walking in darkness for hundreds, yea, thousands of years. But now there's this thrill of hope that comes because we're weary and we're tired of the darkness, but yonder breaks a new and glorious morn. Fall on your knees. Oh, hear the angel voices. Oh, night divine the night when Christ was born. God gave us hope through a sign that he was going to bring that baby born of a virgin, a thrill of hope. God also gave hope through a son. He gave hope through a sign. He gave hope through a son. Did you hear that in the verse? We're back in 714. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin will conceive and bear a son. And again, we just looked in Luke 1 where it said that son would be God's son. Here, she bears a son, and we understand that he is God's son. God gave hope through a son. You know, the, I just told you the the, the greatest Christmas carol ever written. You know, the greatest Christmas gift ever given. I'll bet if I tell you where we find it, you'll know it right off. The greatest Christmas gift ever given, John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave what? His only son. Now imagine that. Those of you who are parents, those of you who are uncles and aunts close to parents, 
Could you give away your child for someone else's well-being? God so loved the world, the world that was in darkness, the world that was basically completely, totally disobedient to him, the world who continued to say no. God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. Man. God gave hope through a son. And so just two chapters later, Isaiah continues to talk about what's, what this is going to look like and how it's going to happen. And in Isaiah chapter 9 at verse 6, he says, Unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. This is our theme each year for the last few years. He said, unto us a child is born. Because Mary, you're going to have a baby Mary, you're, you're going to have a, a child. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son. A child was born to Mary, but not just any child. This child was a son of God, given. For unto us a child is born. He was completely human because he was born of a human mama. Born into human reality and human skin and human flesh. He even had the human capacity to sin had he chosen to do so. Completely human. But he was not just a child born. He was also a son given. The holy son of God. God, because he was conceived by the Holy Spirit. God gave us hope through a son. Completely human, completely divine. God gave hope to us through a sign. He gave hope through a son. And he gave us hope through a savior. You see in our verse again, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin will conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. You say, well, why didn't, he, why didn't they call him Emmanuel when he grew up? Well, this is not saying this is his proper name. This is saying he's got the title, Emmanuel. It's just like later in Isaiah when he says that he'll be called Wonderful Counselor, Prince of Peace, Almighty, Almighty God. This is one of the titles, Emmanuel. Well, what in the world is Emmanuel? Well, fortunately, Matthew helps us out, and Matthew tells us what Emmanuel means. What does it mean? God with us. Now, here's the important, valuable, meaningful part of that name when Isaiah pronounced it first in this verse. You remember I mentioned in Genesis Early on, I mentioned that there was a prophecy that pointed to Messiah. That prophecy was basically the fact that, yeah, Adam and Eve, you messed up and you sinned, and from now on, everybody's going to be sinful. But one of these days, one of your offspring, one of your descendants, will be that Messiah who crushes the head of the enemy. You see, what happened was Adam and Eve used to hang out with God in the garden. 
They were tight. They were close. They would visit. But when they chose to sin, they effectively turned their back on him. You see, God is holy. He is just. As long as we face him, we too are holy and just. We can be obedient to him. But when we choose to disobey, we are effectively turning away from him. When that happened, God said, hey, we can't hang out anymore because you're going in a different direction than I am. You're not following me anymore. So you don't get to hang out in the garden anymore. In the garden was the tree of life. Had they hung out in the garden, they would have continued to eat the tree of life and would have had to spend, theoretically, all of eternity there with God but not connecting to him because of their sin. What a terrible position that would be. He cast them out so they don't get to keep eating from the tree of life. Why? Because the wages of sin is... The wages of sin is... You see, wages is what you earn, right? You work two weeks, you get a paycheck. Your wages. The Bible says you sin, you get a paycheck. You die. You say, well, that ain't me. Watch it. Because the Bible also says, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So just now when you said that ain't me, yeah, you just added another sin to all your other sins because you lied. <laughs> all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. What does that mean? That means you're separated from him and can no longer have full life. The wages of sin is death. So what in the world do we do? We're separated from God now. Sin has separated us. What do we do? Well, we need someone to come in and fill the gap and reconnect sinful man and holy God. We need someone who can help us to be reconciled to our Father. Who would that be but Emmanuel, God with us? He is the one who provides the reconciliation. He's the one who provides the forgiveness. How did he do that? Well, the wages of sin is death. He paid the penalty. He died for us on the cross. He died for us so that we now could have the life that he brings. God gave hope through a Savior. Emmanuel, God is with us again in Jesus Christ. Matthew 1 tells the story. We looked just a minute ago at, at uh, how Mary reacted and her side of the story. Let me share with you real quickly from Matthew 1, beginning at 18. We hear kind of Joseph's side, if you want to think of it that way. The birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. Her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. 
He didn't see any other option but to divorce her because they're kind of engaged, you could say, in different traditions. But let's say they're engaged but not yet married, and yet she's pregnant. So he's, he, doesn't, he doesn't see any other option but to break that off. So, but he loves her enough, and he's a, such a good man, he's going to at least do it quietly so as not to, to embarrass her and make life worse for her. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. Now listen, this, you're going to hear Isaiah 7, 14. You're going to hear our verse right here. For that which is conceived in her is, the Holy, is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son. And you'll call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they'll call his name Emmanuel. Joseph doesn't know what to do. The angel says, hey, God's got this, dude. We're okay. Go ahead and get married, because the baby she's carrying is that baby prophesied in Isaiah. Hope is being fulfilled. And when this baby's born, you're going to call him Jesus. Yeshua. It means God is salvation. That was his name. Emmanuel, God with us. His proper name is God is salvation. God brought hope to the world through a sign and through a son and through a savior. There's no question then, no, no reason for us to misunderstand. When Jesus was born, he lived, they put him on a cross. And when he was hanging on the cross, do you remember the very first thing he said? Father, forgive them. The first statement he made, his first prayer from the cross, because it was our greatest need, and it was his whole purpose in coming. His first statement from the cross summed up his whole purpose in coming. Father, forgive them. He came on a rescue mission. And completed his mission. Luke 19 and 10. Jesus says of himself, the son of man came to seek and to save the lost. God brought hope to the world through a sign, through a son, and through a savior. He came to seek and to save the lost. Later, Paul would teach us the saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the foremost. <laughs>